turn with me to the book of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. And uh, we're going to go there today in Scripture. And uh, all the kids, if I've not dismissed them, toddlers and everyone can be dismissed. I think most of them know now. When I get up here, they're itching to go. They're ready to leave. And uh, so let them let them go. Turn my mic down a little bit because I, I feel a preach uh, happening today. I feel the presence of God, and I'm excited about what God is doing. Let's read together 2 Samuel 6 through 12, just six verses. It says, When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the ox stumbled. Oxen stumbled. Then the Lord, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. He called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. I want to preach today under this title, Suffering a Setback on the Road to Your Destiny. Suffering a Setback on the Road to Your Destiny. Some, some years ago, my wife and I, we were traveling for ministry. Uh, we spent seven years where we traveled uh, together in ministry, and we, uh, we would go and minister at different churches and things. And so there was a, a point where we were traveling through Texas, and we were, I mean, it was at this two-year period of junction, we were in a different church every, every service almost. We were in the middle of, of what we call deputation, where we were raising a budget to try and come and start this church. And so we were in Texas, and we're driving in areas. You end up in areas where you're not real familiar with the roads and what's what, with what's going on. And uh, so you don't notice things as much. And uh, we were traveling on this highway in this little place of nowhere, Texas, and headed to the church. And out of our vision, we could not see in front of us that there was a train track and it just went straight and then dropped off on the other side of the train track. You know how normally you see a train track, there's a little hill. There was no such hill. It just went straight across the train track and dropped. And so we're flying down this road in our minivan, the sportiest of vehicles you can own. And we hit this train track, and just on the other side, as a vehicle that weighs thousands and thousands of pounds does, it just slammed down on the concrete. Well, it broke some stuff in the van. 
some necessary stuff in the van. We were not expecting the bump in the road that we came to. It was unexpected, the events that happened that day. But you know what was amazing was that just a few weeks prior to that, we were in a church in Arkansas, and a pastor had got up after we ministered, and he said, Church, I just feel like they have a need, or maybe a need that's coming, and we need to give to that need. And they took up a very large offering. I was surprised. They'd never really had that happen in a church. I mean, we'd had good offerings, but not one like this. We had held on to that offering, not knowing what was going to happen in the future. But that offering ended up covering the expense of the damage on the van. God, God has this way of foreknowing, foreseeing. He knows what's going to happen and aren't you thankful for a God like that, that he can see the trouble that's ahead of you, and he makes plans. He makes a plan ahead of time. The other day I was driving, and I do this all the time here, uh, coming down Northbrook Parkway. I was coming back from Home Depot, coming here to the church. And if you've never driven down Northbrook Parkway really, really fast, on the far right side of the road coming this way, there is a large bump very large. And I hit it. I've hit it three or four times now. As a matter of fact, we're bringing doors for the facility next door here, glass doors sitting in the back of my truck. My father-in-law and I, we went and boom, we hit that bump because I had forgot that it was there. Praise God, nothing broke. But just the other day, down the same road, same spot, boom, I hit that bump. And I was on the phone with somebody, and whenever I hit that bump, I said, whoa. And they said, what? What happened? I said, I hit a bump that I knew should have been there. But I just get sidetracked. I don't think about it. Life, like a road, has some unexpected bumps. Sometimes they may be things you, you see that you should recognize are going to be there. But you hit them, and you're surprised by them. Other times where it completely catches you off guard, you couldn't see it, didn't know it was coming, but you hit the road in that spot, and there's trouble. So today I want to preach to this subject, the rough patches of life that, that we often think are setbacks. We often think that it is trouble that we cannot recover from, that it is turmoil that is going to change everything, or we look and we say, you know, I've messed up God's will for my life. Understand, God has a will for your life. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan and a destiny for your life. God has a destiny for every person's life. And I believe I'm preaching to people today that you're aware of that, that you're aware that God has a destiny for your life, that you're not here by happenstance. It was not a mistake that God brought you to the place that you're at in your life. You didn't arrive there by chance, but God has a plan for your life. It doesn't mean that everything that happens in life was uh, something you knew would happen or would expect could happen. Maybe there's been some major, massive redirections of life, and so you think your purpose is off, and there's no way. But maybe you think, well, I can just resign myself to a lesser purpose that God has for my life. But I want to tell you today, there's nothing 
that you can do that would mess up God's purpose for your life. Because God is the ultimate chess player. He knows every move. He knows every place where there's going to be a mess up. He knows everything that the future holds and every possible outcome. God knows that. It doesn't eliminate your free will. It doesn't eliminate the option that you have to choose. It just means God knows way more than you know and he has a foreknowledge that he can see all that there is to see. God has a purpose for you to fulfill with your life. Knowing this should cause us to reevaluate the living of our life. We should reevaluate sometimes how we approach life. We take it lightly, do we take it easy, do we do we take it flippantly? For every person, every person that recognizes that God has a destiny for them, that in itself is a blessing. David asked the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why is God even interested in me? Have you ever asked yourself or wondered, why does God love me? And I've explored scripture and I look as closely as I can. I can find no reason other for the fact that God loves you. That's just what God does. He loves you. And there's no rhyme or reason, even in our brokenness, even in our failings, God still loves us, and his love is perfect. Why is God interested in me? It's because he has a plan for your life. God never created anything without a purpose. He doesn't. Think about if we're made and created in the image of God. And mankind has come up with some pretty amazing technology things, but there's not too many things out there that are created that don't have purpose. Those things get relegated to the as-seen-on-TV store. They're not the big sellers. They're created with purpose. Everything that is created is created with a purpose, and God never created anything without purpose. I'll give you some scripture to back it up. Ephesians 1 and 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Predestined means that God planned. It doesn't mean that he chose for you. It means he planned. He planned every possible outcome. It does not mean you don't have free will to choose. It means he foreknew and he planned. Ephesians 1 and 11 says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans 8 29 for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Foreknew is the key word here. He foreknew, and his plan was that you could be conformed to the image of his son, the firstborn among many brethren. He knew, and so he made a plan, and he developed a purpose for your life to conform to the image of his son. Romans 8, 30, 31 goes on, says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these also he justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He's not saying God is so on your side, God's going to get in front of you and fight all your battles. What he's saying is God has already made a plan. There's a perfect outcome that's out there, and it doesn't matter what happens in life. God has made the options in every scenario. He's ran through them all, and he's made a way. And if God is for you, who can be against you? God already knew you. God already planned for you a purpose in your life. What can get in the way of that plan? God has a plan for your life. And if God has a plan for your life, then you must be somebody. You must be somebody. Look at somebody next to you or across from you and say, you must be somebody because God has a plan for you. The Lord knows us, and he has a plan for our lives. So let us not waste our life with riotous living. Let us not waste our time pursuing carnal pursuits, a sinful life, chasing empty pleasure that does not satisfy and miss the will of God for our lives. Let us instead take a perspective of the will of God in my life at any cost. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost me. It doesn't matter the pain that I have to suffer. I want to see the will of God formed in my life. I want to be made into what he wants me to be made into. God sees who we are, where we are. He also sees what he wants us to become. We get hung up very much in the now and here. But God looks at us and he sees the now and here, but he also has a very clear picture of the what's coming. Far, far down the road, 2 Timothy 1 and 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time began, here, think about that scripture backwards. Before time began, he worked out to save you, call you with a holy calling according to his own purpose. God went to the end of everything and he worked it out so that there would be a purpose in your life. And guess what? You can't mess that up. You're not that strong. You're not that powerful. Only if you reject God and you keep pursuing sin will you mess up the will of God for your life. But if you're hungry enough, spiritually hungry enough, and you desire God enough, that it doesn't matter how many times you fall and stumble. As long as you get up in the grace of God, God's purpose in your life can be wrought. See, God sees you from very, very far down the road. Saw you before you got here. He sees you and you're coming in and you're going out. He sees what you're doing now, but he sees what you will be tomorrow. God called David a man after his own heart when David was just a boy. He could have called him a man. He could have waited to call him a man when he was a man, but he called him a man when he was just a kid. He could have called him a boy after his own heart. It would have been just as powerful. But he said, I see a man after my own heart. 
I see what he's going to become. I see past all of the struggles and the failures and the sins, and I see a man after my own heart. He called Simon Peter a rock when he was nothing. He was nothing but a person who would bend over under the pressure of a young girl saying, aren't you one of them? He would surrender to that pressure. But God looked at him and said, upon this rock, a lot of things had to happen in Simon Peter's life that would make him strong enough, daring enough to stand up under pressure. But God saw it. The Lord saw it. God can see you far down the road of destiny he's calling you into. But our trouble is, unexpected things happen. We don't know what to do. Unexpected things happen to every one of us. You took a minute and looked around this room. There are some unexpected things people have had to go through. I hear constantly people, their journey of faith, their story of faith, and things that God has done. And I'm surprised. Always surprised. I shouldn't be surprised because I know my God, but sometimes I'm surprised because people have endured some unexpected things, tragic things, terrible things, but they're still standing before God. In the text, if you went and read the entire history going back many, many chapters, Israel lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines in a crushing defeat when Saul was king. They lost the thing that the presence of God tabernacled in or above. It dwelt there. That was a representation of the presence of God. In a sense, they lost the presence of God from among their people. Through miraculous events, the ark had returned back to Israel and was being kept in a town called Kerjath. Uh, I can't even pronounce the last one. 20 years... <laughs> 20 years it sat in that town. It sat in that town. Believe me, I worked on that word this morning. These, some of these Hebrew words can throw you off. But whenever I got up here, it was like, okay, I got the first one. The second one just left me. 20 years it sat in that city. 20 years it was not where it belonged. It was not in the temple at Jerusalem. It was not in the city of the king. Saul had no desire to go pursue it and bring it back. It sat there for 20 years. Saul was satisfied with his position as king, but he did not desire the presence of God. But David, when he stepped to the throne, David desired God's presence. He desired God's presence before any position. So God gave him both. He gave him his presence and he gave him the position. So David's desire to have the presence of God, he gathered up 30,000 choice men and went to that city to fetch the ark of the covenant to fetch the ark of god so get this picture in your mind he is god's anointed king he's doing the will of god he's bringing the presence of god back to jerusalem he's bringing the ark home he's fulfilling his own desire to have the presence of god He'd make great preparation for doing the work. He gathered up 30,000 men. I mean, that's not a small feat. Have you ever tried to gather together 30,000 people to go do something as simple as getting an ark and bringing it back? He did all of that. He got a new cart. He loaded the ark of God in the cart. He had the sons of the men that had, the man that had been watching over this ark for 20 years. 
sit in that ark and drive that cart. Sit, not in the ark, sit in the cart and drive the cart with the ox. He has the musicians all lined up. They're playing. They're doing music. It's a big thing. They're praising God as they go, doing the will of God, doing the right thing, going back to Jerusalem, taking the ark of God home. He's on the right road. He's not confused about where he should be. He's on the right road. It's the road that goes from Kerjath, that last name of that city, all the way to Jerusalem. He's on the right road. He's headed in the right direction. He's not turned around. He's not confused. He's going the right direction. But when they come to Nashon's threshing floor, the unexpected happens. The oxen stumble. They hit a rough spot on the road. They stumble. David hits a bump in the road on his way to his destiny. Trouble, while doing the will of God, he meets up with trouble. Doing the will of God will not keep you from trouble. It's just a simple fact of life. Doing the will of God, doing the right thing, doing what is pleasing in God's eyes is not always going to keep you from trouble. And so David comes and he hits this bump in the road and what happens? It upsets everything. I'm preaching about bumps in the road today. I'm preaching about real trouble. I'm talking about the death of a loved one that was unexpected. That's trouble. I'm talking about divorce that you never planned on having. No one writes that down as one of their bucket list items. Get a divorce. No one says, I want to have some financial stress in my life this month. No one says that I want to endure sickness. I'm talking about the kind of sickness that you wish you would die. It's lingering. It's hanging on. It's long, drawn-out sickness. It's a disease. It's pain. Change, losing a job, watching and worrying about your kids, terrible life decisions that are going to scar them and laying awake at night praying for them, wondering will they ever change. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Sleepless nights of stress, anxiety, facing some trouble that you just, you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know why God has allowed it to happen. You are going the right direction. You're on the right path. You're doing the will of God. And you had a desire to see the will of God done in your life, but you hit some trouble. David, God's man, chosen. King, sent by God, on a mission, doing what is right. And all of that did not exempt him from hitting a rough spot in the road, Nashon's threshing floor. And who's a good man trying to stop the ark from falling? Good intentions, but an error grabs the ark, and he's immediately struck down. And David gets angry about it, gets afraid. Maybe he was thinking, God, God is against me. The presence of God wanted to stay right where it was at. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And so all the progress stops. David quits because of what happened. Notice where David was at when he hit a rough spot. John's threshing floor. Threshing floor is the place where the wheat is crushed. The place where 
the valuable was separated from what was not valuable. It's the place where the grain would be delivered to be beaten with rods until it's separated from the husk. And then when the husk had separated itself, the master of the Lord of that threshing floor would take it and he would scoop it up in piles and he would throw it up into the wind. And as the wind came through, it grabbed the chaff and the the discarded husk and it would separate the wheat from everything else. The wheat would fall back down. The chaff would be blown away. Separation that was happening. All that would be left in this process was what was usable and valuable. The part of the wheat could be used. It is no mistake that this event happens at this threshing floor. For three months, David puts everything on hold. For three months, he's waiting. For three months, He's stuck in a place of trouble. He's stuck in the place where there was a bump in the road, where everything was upset. The oxen stumbled. Everything stopped and paused right there. Because God was trying to separate some things in David's life. God separates us from the parts that he cannot use to fulfill his purpose in our life. He always brings us to a threshing floor moment. It looks like trouble. It looks like tragedy. It looks like something that you cannot control and do anything with. And it looks like maybe the will of God in your life is messed up. Your trouble on the road to your destiny. It may be God stopping you at a threshing floor. It may be God taking all the chaff out of your life. It may be God separating the usable from the unusable. It may be God doing some things that can't be done in your life any other way. Three months, David and the ark are held up. God knew through this rough patch, through this season, that he could get some things out of David. You say, well, why didn't God just smooth out the rough spot. God knew it was coming. God's God. He could have made that, that walk easy with the cart. It could have been the smoothest trip ever. It's the presence of God doing the will of God, the man of God doing the right thing. God didn't do that. God knew the bump was coming. God could have spoken and said, there's a bump in the road. and Navigate around that. He didn't do that. He let them go right over the bump. The oxen stumbled and there was trouble on the road. God chose instead of making it smooth, God chose to use it. God chose to use it. Verse 12, a little bit later, it says, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. They took the ark and they put it with Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom, in the course of taking care of the ark and keeping the ark, starts to be blessed. So David went, brought the ark up of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. You say, well, three months wasted. Three months. He could have went ahead. Uzzah died. Okay. There's a destiny. Go to it. He could have just went on. Doesn't seem like there was an issue here. Why do you wait three months? 
until he hears Obed-Edom is getting blessed. And then David decides, oh, man, Obed-Edom is getting blessed. I better go get that ark. That's, that's not really what happens. But he does hear Obed-Edom is getting blessed. The whole time Obed-Edom has the presence of God, his fields are blessed, his kids are blessed, his animals are getting blessed. Everything in his life is getting blessed. Don't underestimate the presence of God in your life. There are some blessings that you're only going to have because God is in your life. David could have heard about Obed-Edom and all the blessings that he was getting. And he'd have done like some of us. Or we would have said, yes, God wanted to be with Obed-Edom. Yes, that's where he wanted to end up. He just said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do all the effort of bringing him home now, bringing the ark home here now. Looks like Obed-Edom's doing pretty good. Am I the only one who would think that way? I know I'm not. And everybody with their hand down is lying. We're all lying in here. That's what we can do. David could have said, you know, looks like Obed-Edom's got his, his good day. I won't be the man to bring the presence of God back to Jerusalem. That's not what he did. David said, if Obed-Edom's getting blessed, I want that blessing too. I'm going to go get that ark and I'm going to bring it here. But in those three months of trouble, what you don't see is that David learned some things about the ark of God and how to move it. See, the ark of God was never intended to be carried on a cart by animals. It was intended to be on the shoulder of Levites. Verse 13 tells us, so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. It was in that rough patch, it was in that struggle, it was in that three-month suspension of what David wanted to do that he learned there are some things about God that I need to know. And it's only in your trouble, it's only in those seasons where you feel like you're not making any progress, that you've just, you're angry about it, you're fearful about it, and you give up and you surrender and say, well, I'll just go back to Jerusalem myself and wait. Obed-Edom starts getting blessed. In that season, you're learning something about the presence of God. Because you come out of the other side of trouble. The presence of God on you on your shoulders, you start to understand that there's sacrifice involved. There's a praise that's going to be involved. There's a certain way of handling the presence of the Lord. And you can't just do it any old way. You have to respect the presence of God. Because the presence of the Lord is going to be carried on shoulders of people. It's not on an ox cart. And I thank God for all of the modern day things that we have. I really do. I appreciate what our church is able to do with programs and different things. But I'm going to tell you what makes the church move. It's people. People make the church move. 
The presence of God is only going to be born on your and my shoulder. It's going to be in our prayers. It's going to be in our effort. It's going to be in our work. It's going to be in what we do. We carry the presence of God. It's the vessel holding the this thing that is holy and righteous. That's how God operates and chooses to operate, not any other way. And the presence of the Lord is only going to be brought with praise and sacrifice. That's the way it works. There's no escaping that. There's no changing that. So sometimes trouble in your life is God teaching you what he's trying to get you to learn over and over and over when bumps in the road hit you. David could have left it there. He could have just surrendered to the trouble. But the trouble was what allowed God to get David ready for the destiny. He was on the road the whole time. He was on the road to his destiny. He didn't recognize that the trouble he was facing and meeting was part of arriving. And that's true in your life. You may not recognize that all of the trouble, the things that you've suffered, the grief, the loss, the sickness, the pain, the struggle, the challenge, the tragedy, the, the, the trauma, all of the things that have hit you in your life, you don't realize God is even taking all of that. As bitter as it is, as painful as it is, God takes all of that and he says, no, I have a destiny Feel the presence of God right now. I have a destiny for you. I have a plan for you. And all of those things that have happened, they've not messed anything up. I can still do with you what I intend to do and greater things. Because God looks at you beyond the trouble. He looks at you beyond the sin. He looks at you beyond the bumps in the road. He looks at you a different way. He says right now, I'm putting a threshing floor in their life. They don't realize it. But there's about to be some stumbling. There's about to be some breaking. There's about to be some beating. There's about to be some things that they lose all control of and they feel like they're not making any progress. But in the hidden place, the thing behind the scriptures that you don't see was that when David got back to go get the blessing of God and bring it to Israel, Bring it to Jerusalem. It changed his approach. And it's changing your approach. Suffering a setback on the road to your destiny is not really a setback at all. It's just God taking some things out of your life. Musicians can come. It's just God working to improve what is there. I mentioned last week about the difference between wheat, the difference between wheat and the tares. Tares stand up tall and straight. Wheat, as they develop, the wheat leans over. And the reason it falls and leans over, it's the weight of the fruit, but it's also because the roots and the stem are dying. They're letting go of the world, letting go of the thing that got them to where they're at. And that's true with us in our relationship with God and walking toward God's destiny in our life. What brought you to the place where you're at right now is not necessarily always going to take you into the next thing. God has to work in your life and make some changes. It's going to be God taking you from one place to the next place, but it's going to come through some pain, some trouble, 
some things that you don't like whenever he brings you to a threshing floor you feel like you're being beat you feel like you're being crushed you feel like you're being broken there's some things falling away whenever the wind of God blows in your life there's going to be a husk that disappears there's going to be shaft that gets blown away and what's going to be left is a precious thing the valuable thing the thing that's going to bring blessings of God in your life it's going to be the thing that God can use that a glorious thing maybe maybe that's why Paul when he said when you have trials Rejoice. When you have trials, rejoice in your trial. I don't feel like rejoicing. I know. Not feeling much joy in this process. I, I know. I know it. And my heart breaks for you. But there are only some things God can do when He takes you through a breaking process life when the road has trouble on it and it's at that place three months three months angry and afraid waiting to hear and then going back with a different approach God gets glory in it all I feel the presence of the Lord here right now I feel like the Spirit is stirring on someone's heart. I wonder if we could just take a moment and pray. We always gather to the front, but right now I just feel like in our seats we need to take a moment, bow our heads and just pray and let the Spirit of God work on us. Someone right now, you've been going through some crushing, some trouble, some bumps in the road, some setbacks on your way to destiny. God's person. He knows you. He sees you. He's chosen you. He's called you. You thought you were doing right. You thought you were doing the will of God. You were on your way to your destiny, the right direction you were headed. But you've hit some bumps. It's not a permanent setback. God, you see every heart, tender heart toward you that's here right now. God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak to them. God, that you would minister to them exactly what I'm trying to minister in the, in the core of this message, Lord, the heart of this message. God, touch them and stir their heart. Stir their heart, God, toward exactly what you have. You have a plan and a purpose, and all of this is not wasted. It's not wasted. You're going to get glory from it, God. And they're going to have blessings and there's going to be value in their life. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen. Will you stand with me? They're going to begin to sing and I, I want to invite our church family, church body to come to the altar. If you're a guest here, you're not com comfortable coming to the altar with us. We've 
so glad that you're here. But we want to invite everyone to take a moment of time to just pray, seek the presence of God, allow Him to speak to you through this message, allow Him to talk to you. Maybe you just want to look back on some bumps in the road. You say, God, I, I praise you for those seasons of my life where I didn't realize you were doing it, but you were doing a work on my behalf. You're improving some things. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. 